listening to an audio sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel, Kelowna. For more information about our church, please visit harvestkelowna.ca. Ushers are coming forward with Bibles, and they have Bibles in their hands that we, uh, they want to distribute and make sure that you have a Bible in your hand. We love everyone to have a copy of God's Word, whether it's tablet, phone form. Make sure you turn it off so you're not like scouring the internet during the message or Googling or Facebook or whatever it might be. Uh, this, is, this is important time. This is God's Word time. This isn't Melden. This isn't sermon time. This isn't the pastor's time. This is God's Word time for His Word to do a work in our lives. And so turn in your Bibles to Titus 2 and... Uh, If you don't have a Bible at home, you take that Bible that you were just given and you take that home with you and allow God's Word to impact your life and to teach you and to train you and and to convict and and to encourage and restore our lives. And and Titus 2, we're working through this book. It's good to be back and get to to get busy into God's Word here and just seeing, unpacking the glorious treasures that we have in this incredible uh, Word of God. As I mentioned earlier, and I just want to walk through with you a few fun pictures of our, our recent 10-day excursion to Saskatchewan. That's where both Charlotte and I are from. And in those days, we, we visited and, and met with 48 immediate family members. So it was kind of a crazy time in that way. We got to go to a wedding in, in Regina, one of my nephews, and just a great event. And, and this picture, lots of family visits, but this family picture is like my favorite. I just kind of came up, the photographer was taking a look at the bride. She just looks, I don't know what she looks like. Everyone, just the expressions on their faces, hilarious. And so, yeah, they won't put that on their social media, but I might, you know. And so just, you know, great time visiting with some of my aunts and uncles and, and uh, just a great time with cousins and nieces and nephews and parties and all of these kind of things. And, and one of the highlights, someone said, what is the highlight? Well, family, of course, but also another one was going to a Hutterite colony. Yes, you're right, a Hutterite colony. And my dad has gotten to know some of the leaders in, in a Hutterite colony just outside of Regina. And and, and, and some of these leaders, they have a heart for the gospel. They are gospel men, and they're concerned about the, the, either the legalism or the licentiousness within their own colony and what is going on there. And so uh, we got to eat a meal with them back in the far distance. In that middle picture, Charlotte and Clarice were, were there eating a meal on the ladies' side where the ladies would eat in the dining room. My dad and I were over with the men, and, uh, and, and I was encouraging the ladies to wear some of the uh, clothing, but they didn't. And uh, just a great time incredible people, very loving, very giving people, very on fire for the Lord, some of these people, and, uh, and incredible farming operations. Look at those strawberries. Those are strawberries right in the middle there, and then those are tomatoes on uh, pictured there. I mean, just incredible. And, and then, of course, we attended the new worship center on the prairies. Yes, we did. Uh, there you see it, the new worship center, the home of the Saskatchewan Rough Riders, and they actually won that night. We also bonused out. We had a two-hour rain delay, and so we got to watch the lightning storm. Just, it was awesome to see God's beauty on display. We don't get lightning storms here. They're wimpy here in, in, in Kelowna compared to what you get on the prairies. That's, uh, that'll, uh, yeah, anyways, uh, we'll just move on from that. But then we moved on to Saskatoon, where Charlotte is, is originally from, and, and uh, spent time celebrating her mom's 80th birthday, and and spending time together with family, and, and, and that was really good to be able to, to do that. And, and uh, we also uh, toured out to the farm where she grew up. That's where I, we shot a little video for you last Sunday from, and the garden that her parents put on on the farm. They also have a huge garden in the city. They love gardening, and the gardens grow out there like crazy. We also visited the Synchroton uh, in Saskatoon, a $400 million project. My brother-in-law just started rec- recently working there. Uh, I can't fully tell you what it is. Go home and Google it. It's it's like mind-blowing, but it's basically, it is extremely powerful source of x-rays that are produced with high-energy electrons as they circulate around the synchrotron, okay? So, uh, I don't know, whatever that means. It's used for incredible scientific and, and medical research technologies using that like crazy. It, it was quite something to see, but really felt dumb walking through there. Just like, I have no, saw a lot of tin, hey, I can identify tinfoil. There was a lot of tinfoil that somehow gets used a lot there. Uh, pretty cool. We're going to use tinfoil foil tonight for our baked potatoes, so I feel a little smarter because of that. But um, anyways, uh, just great time away. 
and, uh, and, and yet as we were uh, up early last, uh, last Sunday morning at 345 BC time so we could hit it all the way home, um, we left uh, with full hearts, thankful hearts, but ready to come home hearts as well, ready to uh, just engage in this summer with you and with our family and those that uh, will be visiting us, and, and I trust that many of you uh, newer folks who will be joining us and be part of what God is doing here. And uh, one of the things, though, as we left, though, we were very... Uh, both, we talked as a family how thankful we are for our families. Uh, our families are far from perfect. There's dysfunction in everyone. There's that crazy uncle in everyone's family, and, and some would probably consider that being me uh, in, in the family. And yet, we are thankful for the legacy of godliness that both Charlotte and I have enjoyed and been able to, uh, be li- to see lived out and passed along to us. Uh, that in turn, I trust that we will take and we will take what has been learned and handed down and displayed before us and pass that on to our children and one day grandchildren and to keep that going for future generations. And you know, folks, regardless of where you are at here today, you might say, well, that's not my story. I don't have a godly legacy. We are thankful for great-grandparents who gave their hearts or grandparents who gave their hearts to Jesus shortly after moving here before they moved to Canada to settle here. And then... parents who have continued that on, and you might say, but I don't have that legacy. But folks, I want to tell you that you can have that legacy, that that godly legacy can start today or it can continue on if it's been kind of slowed down by your own uh, uh, lethargy in in different areas in, in your life. That legacy can continue today. You see, a godly legacy happens, it starts and it continues as individuals and then as families and then as churches take the word of God seriously. Not just hear it, but to live it and apply it. And and so we read it and we ask God, God, help us to be able to live out your word. Uh, And and, and it's all by his grace then as, as we step out in faith and obedience to his word. And perhaps you're sitting here and you're thinking, but I'm too messed up. My family is too messed up. There's too much dysfunction. There's too much going on in my head. There's too many failures. There's too many blown opportunities. There's too many wasted years, too many decades. And if you're thinking that today, stop it. Stop thinking like that because that is just wrong. Lower your high view of your sin, your failure, your wrongdoings. Lower that view and, and, and take, 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 please, please, and upsize your view and understanding of God's grace and what he can do and what he will do in the life of one person in your family in this church and as it spreads out as godly legacies must be pursued and must be committed to. You see, God's word says in 2 Corinthians 5, it says that we in Christ, if you are in Christ, you are a new creation. The old is what? Gone. The new life has come. Isaiah 61 says that he brings beauty from the ashes. What looks like just ashes and nothing left, he can bring beauty from it. And some neat stories that go along with that. It's not only a truth in science, but it is a truth in God's word. It's a truth in our lives. Or in Joel chapter 2, that, he, that our God can restore the years that the locusts have eaten away. He can restore. He can make new. He brings beauty from what seems ugly and difficult. And it can start today, but it depends on you. And you know, I can't help but to think, and and as we have conversed many times, that a huge part of that godly legacy in our lives wasn't just because of parents and grandparents who decided to follow Jesus. It's because in both our family situations, our families' lives and our livelihood and our social lives revolved around biblical community, around the church, committed to, up to the elbows involved in, in, in serving and, 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 and making it a priority, whether the kids were young. Man, some of the excuses we can come up with these days for, for, for escaping community and the busyness and, and that, that's not going to stand up. And, and, and then you wonder why a godly legacy is not happening. It's because we don't value and, and prioritize what God values and prioritizes for us and encourages and challenges us to do. That a personal relationship with God and we also see a commitment and a relationship to biblical community is vital for a godly legacy. It is vital for your continued growth as a believer in Christ. 
And that's what we're building here at Hope Bible Church. We're not just building a place where people show up once a week and then we'll see again next week. A biblical community where we walk together, where we confess together, where we encourage together, we rebuke, correct, teach, love one another, laugh together, eat baked potatoes together, be able to drink coffee and and see each other out in the streets, you know, yesterday running into various people on Bernard and just having short cute conversations, not so much with the girls, but with their cute kids, you know, and, and being able to just, just live in community together with one another. That's what God calls us to do, not to go and live on a colony. That's, that's not what we are called to do, but to live in community with one another, invite others to be part of the mission and the community that God is building. So buckle up, folks. Titus 2, we're going to get into that now, because I just love the way God's work out. I, I just thought... As I got into this, couldn't have planned a better passage to return home to and to just, just take and, and to take these truths and just to allow God's word to penetrate our lives. And that's what I've been praying. God, would it be your truth that would penetrate our lives? This godly legacy, this, this what God is wanting to build here in our lives and build in our church and build in the city and this region. It can start today. It's already starting, but it can continue. And for some of you, start today and, and, and continue on as we run this race together. And so here in the book of Titus, just to give a quick recap, Paul was writing this letter to Titus, a younger pastor who was sent to the island of Crete where there was a bunch of new churches that were there, struggling churches, because you see the Christians there, there were a lot of people who gave their hearts to to Jesus Christ, but they needed to be discipled. This young church was still, there was a lot of stuff going on. They were lying, they were cheating, they were sleeping around. They were reflecting more the life of the culture rather than that of Christians. And so Paul, Paul is instructing, giving some instructions to Titus to be able to share with the people in the churches there. And we get that letter today to be able to take and read and, and to build our lives and build our church and our decisions on. And, and so Paul sent this letter to Titus and he told him, first of all, and we looked at this a number of weeks ago, it's all online, you can listen to, to these messages, identify and appoint some godly leaders, some humble godly elders in the life of your church and, and he gave very specific details of what you are to look for in the leader of a church. A godly man, a humble man, a dependent man, not a perfect man, because there was only one of those, and they put him on a cross. But men that can set example in their lives, not perfectly, but progressively in their lives. And he gave then specific instructions. Three weeks ago, we looked at that in, in Titus chapter 2. He gave specific instructions to, to, to the different age groups. And, and, and basically, he's also telling them, this is what a godly life will look like. This is what a person will look like who is, has the Holy Spirit of God working inside of them. That, and, and he gave those instructions. We looked at that last time. Older men, older women, younger women, younger men are to learn from the olders and the olders are to teach the youngers. Is that happening? Or do we just hear it and are we actually taking time? Are we building and forging those kind of relationships within the body of Christ? And then he gave instructions for employees, how we are to, to act and react to our bosses. And all of this we see in, in, you can even look now in chapter 2, verse 10. One of the purposes for for living a godly life, for pursuing this, he says in there, so that our lives would adorn, so that the lives of other people would adorn the doctrine of God, that other people would see our lives. They would see the changes. They would see the holiness and the growth towards Christ-likeness and and the love and the respect and the mutual giving of oneself to, to, to one another that others would see and say, hey, I want that. That others would come and see and adorn and value the doctrine and the beauty of our God and his ways. And so he gives those instructions in the first 10 verses and he says, here's how you should live. And now in verse 11, he tells us how we do it. As we get into verse 11 and the rest of this chapter, it's not just about running harder and do this, do this. And it's not just about personal discipline and try harder. He gives these instructions and then he tells us where the power comes from. And this is one of the beauties about preaching through entire books of the Bible, through entire passages and not just kind of parachuting in here and here and here. We get the full, full thought here of what God is saying through his Holy Spirit, through the author of God's word here in, in Titus 2, Paul, as he gives it to Titus and now gives it to us. And so let's look at verse 11. Let's get started. It says there in Titus 2, 11, for the grace of God has appeared. 
We're just going to stop there for a second because I'd encourage you to be a Bible underliner. If you want to underline something in your Bible, uh, underline the word for. That word for is very similar that you'll see at times in, in God's word to the word therefore. And whenever you see the word therefore, you must ask yourself the question, what? What is it? Therefore, and this word for is a hinge word as he launches into this next, next number of verses. It's a hinge word from what he was just declaring in the first 10 verses. And so that word for is very important. And he goes on to say, for the grace of God has appeared. Paul tells us first 10 verses, here's how to live. Verses 11 to 15, here's the power and the reason that we do this. For the grace of God has appeared. And folks, this is the good news. And this isn't just left up to human discipline and trying harder. That you and I can change. That we can live a life that is, is growing in godliness. Bringing more and more glory and honor to God. And, and, and a life of fruitfulness. And that it's not dependent on, on, on our Human effort alone it is dependent on the Holy Spirit. Lives that are growing in holiness, in Christ-likeness, resulting in true joy and satisfaction. See, we're running and we're pursuing all of these different things. We think if I just have the best vacation, if I have this amount of money, if I have this set for retirement, if I get this house, this car, this spouse, this, 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 this degree, this, this achievement, that then I will have arrived. You'll never arrive. It'll never satisfy you're just going to have to keep running harder and trying something else. This, the word of God and the life that we are describing here today is where true joy and satisfaction is found. But it's not about just human effort. I want to make sure it's about, that's abundantly clear today. But it's about attaining to the grace of God. It's not just about having greater knowledge. It's not just about spending time in the word of God or having accountability partners. That's all important. That's not what's going to power you through this. It's going to be the amazing grace of God. And so we're going to continue now and read the passage. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the, in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of our glory, the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness, and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. And so Paul is declaring here that this grace, he's declaring that it's not just about our salvation or our, if you want to use a nice theological word for that, our justification, our growth in godliness, or another word for that, sanctification, and our future in heaven, our glorification. It's not about human effort. It's all about God's amazing grace. And that's why we want to talk about God's amazing grace today. And today we're going to see four components of this amazing grace. I hope you have pens in hand, piece of paper ready to go and write this down. And there's going to be scripture references. Go home and study the word. Be a Berean. and study the word. And allow God's word to not just impact you now, but, but throughout the course of this week as you look at these verses and, and, and study and say, oh God, may this be a growing reality in my life. And so we're going to see four components components of God's amazing grace today. And the first one, it's available to all. Verse 11, for the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. That word appeared means, uh, we also get the word epiphany from there, which means appearance or manifestation. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. And who is the grace of God? Who is the grace of God that has appeared? Who is the grace of God that has appeared? Jesus, yes, for a second, I thought, oh boy, we better back up the bus even further, but I guess you just didn't know you should respond um, to that. And, 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 and Jesus is, is the epiphany. He is that great light. God in the flesh, our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. We even see that in verse 13 as, as Paul describes it. If anyone ever doubts, you get Jehovah Witnesses coming to you and say, you know, just, you know, that, that Jesus was not God. Well, Titus even here declares it loud and clear. Our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. He's appeared bringing salvation for all. Now, that statement there, salvation for all, you might go, ooh, what does that mean? Is that teaching universalism? A sadly growing teaching in churches today? And you might be surprised what churches are believing that and what authors and theologians and pastors are believing that today. That's not what he's talking about here. You see, the Bible is clear all throughout that salvation is found only in Jesus Christ. 
in Jesus Christ alone and having a personal, not just an understanding, not head knowledge of it, but in a personal encounter with Jesus Christ. I encourage you to write down these verses because here's some solid verses that will just encourage, bless, and remind you of this truth and this reality. I'm just going to read one of them here for you in Acts chapter 4, verse 12, but I'm going to back up the bus to even verse 11. You can just listen to this as you write it down. It says, this Jesus, just so you know that it's Jesus that they're talking about, the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And verse 12, and this is just, this, this just declares this. And there is salvation that is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. It is through Jesus and Jesus Christ alone that people are saved. Not just through having some belief in this God or that God or living a life of good works. That's not going to do it. It's going to be through Jesus Christ and understanding who he is and what he has done. And Paul is teaching this the grace. He's declaring this grace, this unmerited favor. It's available to all. It is to be received by all. And every single human being can be saved. Listen, listen, listen. This is so important. And some of you may need to hear this. You need to tell a friend about this today. There is no one that is too bad in this in this room or in this world. No one who has sinned so badly that God's grace is not deeper than and some of you might, believe, might be believing the lie that after what I've done or what I continue to do, there's no way that God could or would ever forgive, forgive me and, and let it go. That is wrong. That is false teaching. The lie of the enemy has gotten you and has you in a snare. And you need to be taken out of that snare and you need to be hearing the truth. There is no sin too bad that God's grace is not greater than. And listen to this. There's no one that is too good that doesn't need to be saved. Everyone must come to Jesus. There is a rescuing, redeeming grace, and this is the first thing that Paul is talking about. This rescuing, redeeming grace is available to all, and it comes by believing rightly. It's believing that Jesus Christ was God in the flesh, not just a good man or a good teacher, miracle worker. No, he was God in the flesh. It's important that we know that, we understand that, and that he lived a perfect life, that he healed the sick, he raised the dead, he drove out demons, And he died on the cross, a sacrificial death for my sin, for your sin, even though he was without sin. And he took our sin upon himself, the righteous became unrighteous, and he gave us his righteousness in exchange for our unrighteousness, so that we could be forgiven, amen, that is for sure. That we could be forgiven and released from the punishment and the bondage that this sin breaks. We can break free. There's power to break free from sin because he has forgiven us. And he conquered that sin and death by rising three days later on Easter Sunday. And it's an understanding and accepting this truth about his great love, his mercy, his grace, and by confessing and repenting that we have sinned, we have fallen short, and it's that willingness, that desire to say, I break free from my sin after what Christ has done for me. I don't want to continue on in my sin. I want his grace, his forgiveness. I want his new life. I want to be forgiven. And as we repent, as we confess our sins, we receive his grace and his mercy. Understand this, folks, no one just oozes into the kingdom of God because you were brought up in a church, because you went to youth, because you went to summer camp. It's only by confessing and repenting and turning from our sin. Have you made a personal decision to follow Jesus Christ? God's grace not only saves us, but it rescues us. It saves us, it rescues us, but it, but, but it goes on from there. It changes us. You see, this is more than just fire insurance. This is more than get out of hell free card. It's more than praying the prayer and then we go on and just live the life we, we want to continue living just to kind of please ourselves and do what we want. That's not, that's not any way to live if we've received God's amazing grace. No, this amazing grace not only rescues us and redeems us, but it restores us and it reorientates our lives to what God would have for us, to a God-filled, God-honoring life. And this is what we see second of all in this is that, that, that God's amazing grace compels us and empowers us to live a godly life. See, God's grace just doesn't save us. It, it has a further and a deepening work 
a sanctifying work in us to change us and to transform us. Verse 11 is all about our justification. Verse 12 is about our sanctification, being delivered from sin's power through, through our salvation, but we're also given new power through the Holy Spirit to live a transformed life. It's about God's glory on display in our lives as he's changing us. And that change sometimes is going to be so slow because we can be so stubborn or so lazy. And yet we allow God to change us. Oh, that we would experience not only his saving work, but his changing work in our lives. You see, God's grace trains us and teaches us to say no to sin, no to ungodliness, no to to worldly passions, and yes to self-control, yes to upright living, yes to godliness. And just as no one can ooze into salvation, no one oozes into their sanctification either. It's a process that begins at salvation. And it's then a daily decision to pursue, to honor, to live for Christ. It's not one and done, not pray a prayer and then just continue on. It's a daily prayer, a daily decision. Jesus, I choose and I decide to live for you today and the world is going to pull us and it's going to drag us in. And, and we need to daily choose. We need to daily confess those areas where we faltered and we've fallen and we build people around us, accountability partners around us and and people to speak into our lives to be able to encourage and strengthen, correct and rebuke us, not run from them, but run to them. You see, it's a new birth. It's not just a change of opinion. It's not simply a new lifestyle or turning and going God's way. When there's a genuine salvation, the Holy Spirit of God comes in. The Holy Spirit of God comes in, into your life, and the old purposes are blotted out, and worldly, the worldly, fleshly passions become disgusting to us. We don't want to sin. We want to please God. And this happens through the power of the Holy Spirit. See, God's grace trains us and compels us to live a godly life. Because you can't do it on your own and I can't do it on your own. Write down John chapter 1 verse 12 and look at this verse. You you don't need to look at it. We'll put it on the screen. It says, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Now, that word right, encourage you to write beside the word right. Write the word power. Because that word right means authority, which means power. And so, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, those who truly trusted him as Lord and Savior and confessed their sins, it says, he has given them the power to become children of God. He gives us the power to live the life. It's not just us running harder on a treadmill trying to do good and, and, and show up on time and do this and that and other things. No, it, we're empowered from him primarily, ultimately, as we decide and choose daily to follow and to engage that power in our lives. Amazing grace saves and it also transforms. It does involve a putting off on our behalf and a putting on, and you see that through scripture, this putting or this taking off sin and putting on holiness and righteousness. Actually, some verses encourage you to even write down for that, um, that, that, that speak of that and, and, and go and study that. Those are areas that we ought to be putting off daily in our lives. And then we also have instructions of what we are to put on in pursuing godliness. It's taking that complaining thought or tongue and replacing it with thanksgiving. It's taking that lustful thought or action and replacing it with worship that focuses on Jesus Christ. It's replacing lies with truth. It's it's taking off worry and anxiety and fear and replacing it with the truth from the word of God. It's replacing that addiction or that bad habit with a right behavior. It's about taking that selfishness and and self-centeredness and replacing it with service. You just don't take off sin. We put on righteousness and, and, and the pursuit of Christ-likeness in our lives. And, and those verses are great starts to look at. This is that training in grace. 
This is that amazing grace that trains us, that expects something of us. And as we say yes to God, the power and the strength from the Holy Spirit is ignited with us to be able to stand in power and victory. And sometimes victory comes gradually and sometimes that victory just comes like that. It's all God's grace. His grace trains us and it teaches us. Now, some might be here today and some out there may easily say, hey, I got saved. I got saved because I heard a sermon on hell and I didn't want to go. I heard that. It scared the hell out of me, literally. And I didn't want to go there. And, or maybe you thought that by accepting Jesus, it would mean that you would have a better life. <laughs> Plus, uh, who wouldn't want to go to heaven? I mean, it's a way to get to heaven and have a better life. And, you know, he'll help you achieve your goals. You see... N- Getting him to help you just achieve your goals or to live a better life or not wanting to go to hell. That's not the basis of salvation. That's not where there's genuine repentance. Real, true salvation involves repentance. We understand what we have done before God. It's not about having a better life. It's about honoring him with ours and it's confessing our sins towards him. You see, amazing grace truly understood makes us aware of how ugly and terrible the power and the presence of sin is in our lives, and we don't want anything to do with it. We want to run from sin. And so dangerous in thinking that just by raising our hand or praying this prayer, which you don't even really find biblically, walking an aisle or even getting baptized, you're in. You're in because you've done these things. But if you never truly repented of your sins... And surrendered your life to him as Lord and Savior. Be aware. You see, when you become a new creation, you understand that you were once dead and you are now alive. You go from death to life. The power of sin is replaced with the power of the Holy Spirit as Jesus takes up residence in our soul. And you change. You have to change. No matter the age, whether you're a child And accept Christ. There's new godly desires. And a desire to want to live for him. A desire to be in the word. No matter the age. Whether you're in your 20s or your 40s. It's critical that that we're growing in this grace. There should be no such thing as a crusty Christian. And yet so often times. I can be. And I know others who can be at times. Crusty, grump. Are you kidding me? There, there shouldn't be. After what Christ has done for us, and yes, the it, things that have happened in our lives and our families, the setbacks, the things that, that we didn't see coming, but God did. These, these are issues that God can use to train us and to teach us in and to rely on Him in a greater way, and yet we can be so grumpy. We ought to be, if the grace of God is growing in our lives, we ought to be becoming sweeter and more loving and more forgiving. There must be some sort of consistent evidence in our lives of the fruit of the Spirit. How's that going for you today? Perhaps it's been a while you've gotten off track and it's time to allow God's grace, His amazing grace, to flood your life again to compel and empower you towards Christ-likeness, to live that godly life. It's an initial decision this ama- to receive this amazing grace. It's a continual decision to walk in and live in this amazing grace of God. And I want to be super gentle here, super gentle, but I want you to examine your lives. You see, if genuine belief brings genuine life change over a long haul, It's got to do that. And if it hasn't or it isn't doing that, you must be concerned. If there's allowing bitterness and unforgiveness, resentment, the pursuit of other things to get hold of us and and sidetrack us, we have to examine our lives. A person now could be genuinely saved and and yet just are simply untaught. It's like the... The Cretans here in in the island of Crete, they they were living this way, and that's why Paul is saying you need to appoint leaders, and you need to teach them the word, and the the olders are to train up the youngers, and and, and there's supposed to be good discipleship that is taking place. And there's a great need for teaching and patience and accountability and mentoring in our lives and our churches today. 
Olders training the youngers. Youngers learning together. Watching, learning from the olders. But the bottom line, saving grace will manifest itself in a training and a changing grace in our lives. And maybe it's been a while and you need to revisit that in your own life. And I ask for God's amazing grace. You're, you're a saved person. You made a commitment to Jesus Christ. You've walked closely with him, but it's become kind of shallow and it's become kind of dull and you've kind of wandered away and it's time to allow God's amazing grace to flood your life again. And that starts with repentance and say, oh God, I've run so far from you. Would your grace, your mercy flood me again? As we confess, as we repent areas of sin in our lives. And thirdly, we see God's amazing grace promises us a glorious future. Look at in verse 13, it says, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. And when we were away on holidays, it, it seemed that over and over again, there were conversations that we would have regardless of the age, whether it was with olders or whether it was with youngers, over the ever-changing, messed-up, broken world that we're living in. I could go into a lot of detail on this, but folks, basically, we need to be ready. The storm clouds are coming on the horizon, and they may be coming sooner rather than later. You just put that, 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 that little picture up there, just a, a clip from, from the news this past week, Ottawa looking at criminal reforms to deter shameful conversion therapy. Basically, folks, what this means is that preaching, counseling, certain truths from God's word, especially in the area of sexual orientation, identity, or expression, will be considered hate speech, making it illegal to do what we do so oftentimes here is proclaim the authority of God's word without apology. To compromise, we're going to be faced with a choice as churches and you in the workplace, you in your conversations with friends, even perhaps with the government to either compromise God's word and back away from God's truth and what God's word calls us to say and to, to, to do with love and yet with authority that we are, either we're going to compromise or we're going to have to practice civil disobedience. It's coming down to that. That's, that's where it's all heading. Or weekly, how we see all the crazy weather, storms, earthquakes, disasters, and people will say global warming. no. No, you can call it whatever you want. It's global warning that it's God putting us on alert. We're in end times. These are the last days. This is all described. Everything we're seeing in the world. Why should we be surprised? It just means he's getting ready to come. We're in the end time and we need to be ready. And you can snicker. You can laugh. And you think, ah, it's not going to happen in my lifetime. Read the word of God. It, the, talk, the clock is ticking and it's getting closer and closer and closer. Another thing that happened when we visited in Saskatchewan, it had been two years since we had been there and I'm amazed at how old people got. Like seriously, like, I mean, gray hair, wrinkles. You know, like, it's like, what happened to you? Did you go through some time warp machine and they aged you, you know? That's what people are saying to me. And... Um, you know, or, or how slow some people were moving. And, and, but then we also went to a senior's home and did some hospital visits. Visited with Charlotte's aunt and her 67-year-old daughter who are both in the same home. They've had a difficult life. And it's a difficult end. Hands you see on the left are of a hospital visit of a dear man who I started in ministry with. He's on the end of his journey too. Godly man. When I talk to him, he says, yeah, I think it's time that I take a step back. In other words, just a step back and allow God to take him home. Life can be hard and the end of the road journey can be slow and it can be difficult. But folks, God's amazing grace promises a blessed hope, a glorious heavenly future. Amen? For the believer in Christ, this world is the worst that things will ever get. 
Nate and I did a road trip this past week. We went, went to Revelstoke, and, and there was, oh, as he was driving, and I'm snapping pictures. He's like, you're like a tourist from, like, some Asian country or something, because I'm just, like, snapping, and, and I'm like, I know. It's just like, this is so amazing. Look how beautiful this is. Green lakes and mountains and then snow top near Revelstoke. Like, it's just like, ah! It's going to be garbage can compared to what's going on in heaven. What he has prepared for us there. This blessed hope, a glorious future is ours in Christ Jesus. Another thing that we did, it's a sign you must be getting old. We went on a, on a cemetery tour of the old church cemetery where Charlotte... Uh, near the church that Charlotte grew up at, west of Saskatoon, and we went out to this, Ar- this cemetery near Arlie, Saskatchewan. We wandered around the graves of family and friends to Charlotte's family, and many of her family members there. Her dad is standing in front of the grave of his parents, and just to the right of him is the grave of April Reimer's grandparents. Standing there and then just looking at at, at the lives that once were lived, hearing some of those stories. And I was talking to my father-in-law, and put that next picture up there, because this is just so awesome. This is so awesome. Like, this is like one of the, some of the first people that were, were placed there in, in that cemetery, and they donated the land for it. And my father-in-law, we were talking, he said, wouldn't it be something if that blessed hope happened right now? While we're here, what, that's gonna look, what that would look like? That concrete that's been sitting there in minus 45 terrible degrees up to plus 30 something mosquitoes grasshoppers locusts whatever it is that have been all around there for all those years that concrete that's been sitting there and then all of a sudden just crumbles as the body that has been laying there is reunited with its soul spirit it's going to happen. If that person was in Christ, that's going to happen. Listen, and, and you say, oh, where do you get that from? Oh, God's word, First Thessalonians 4. Now, look at, no, 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 put, keep, keep that up there. I want people looking at this as I read this, because this is going to happen. It's not just here. It's just not in the word. It's going to happen. Listen, for the Lord himself will descend from heaven. This is going to happen with the cry of a command. He's going to give the command. He's going to give the cry, and it says, with the voice of an archangel, and the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. They will come crumbling out. That concrete will just be shattered as that body comes flying out. Then we who are alive and who are left caught up together with them will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Amen? Amen. Our blessed hope. It's going to happen. What a hope, what a confidence we have that we have beyond life here on this earth, beyond the brokenness and, and the sickness and the disease and the things we're all stressed about today and this week and the old age that we're facing and all of you are and, and, and beyond these mortal bodies and these struggling minds. For Christians, this is the worst it's ever going to get as we anticipate this bright future, this glorious future. Well, we are on this cemetery tour. There's just two more pictures I want to show you from this. As you look closely, I'm not sure if you're able to, but these were little children who only lived a day. And the one on the left is Luke Matico. That would be Charlotte's uncle. Lived only a day. And I absolutely enjoy, I don't know if you can quite see it in there, it says, budded on earth to bloom in heaven. I thought, how, what a statement that is. Budded here on earth only to bloom in heaven. Folks, that caption isn't just true for that little child. That caption is true for the believer in Christ who has experienced God's amazing grace, His training grace in our lives. We will experience His, his exalting, His full-on life and power and victory where we will be one day exalted before him as we are glorified in our glorified, perfect states forever and ever. Amen. And this time here on earth is just a budding and we will fully blossom. And yet we spend so much time trying to blossom out everything here on this earth. We're living for the here and the now. We try to make heaven here on earth and what a waste that is. And when we do, it just blocks our view of heaven. We get so earthly-minded and earthly-focused on so many things that in the end just won't matter. 
get our eyes onto the future grace so that, so that we can be, in other words, be so heavenly minded that you're earthly good. All right? That, that, that we have that focus of eternity. We are to live our lives in light of eternity, in the future glorious grace that will one day be ours. And fourthly, the last thing here, God's amazing grace fires us to serve with a full shovel. I was talking to a, a father and daughter in my office this past week, and, and uh, she asked me, what, what is this half shovel doing on the wall over top of my desk? And, and I said, actually, I'm going to be talking about it this Sunday. And, and I went on and told this story. Actually, the dad told this story because he's heard me talk about it enough times, I guess, over the last number of years that he, he, he told a pretty good version of it. And, and, and basically, it's there as a reminder, give half a shovel, expect half shovel results. And that's true in everything. Give half-shoveled in, in your marriage and parenting, in your work. Expect half-shovel results. And there's a story I won't go into it because I just don't want to take up that time right now. But we see this, that God's amazing grace fires us up to serve with a full shovel. None of this half-shovel. He doesn't deserve. He, doesn't, he shouldn't receive a half-shovel from us, but a full shovel when it comes to our service and our desire to, to, to do good good. Uh, for him and by him. Look at verse 14. It says, Who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and purify for himself a people for his own possession. What's he talking about? The gospel there, once again, reminding us the gospel. Because of the gospel, it says, A people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. In verse 15, I'm going to just finish up with that and then talk about verse 14 in a second. It says, declare these things and exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no one disregard you. And so verse 15, we're going to deal with 15 and then we'll get to 14 and finish up there. This little, this, this 15, verse 15 would have been kind of like a little footnote, more than likely, that Paul would have given to Titus. And if, if Paul would have been able to speak to him, he would have taken Titus by the shoulder and he would have said to him, Titus, now listen up. You declare these truths and, and you exhort people, which is a strong encouragement, and you rebuke them, you warn them, and you do it with all authority. It's not your authority, it's not my authority, it's the authority of heaven, it is the authority of God that you're speaking here. And let no one disregard you. People will walk out on you. People will laugh at you. People will mock you. People will try to, to, to dissuade you from it. But don't you do that. You don't allow that to happen. Declare these truths. All of these truths in chapter 2. Declare them. Olders, spending time with the youngers. Are you doing that, olders? Are you f looking for opportunities to build into the lives? Youngers, are you seeking out olders in that way? Are we being men and women pursuing godliness? Folks, this is something that God's word just not suggests for us to do. It commands for us to do. You will have, you will make people uncomfortable. People will leave your church. They will squirm. They will walk away. But insist on this obedience to the word of God. Do this amazing grace that saves us, that changes us and transforms us and prepares for us a glorious future in heaven. <laughs> Declare these things and don't back down. Declare them. Titus, don't give up no matter how hard it gets. And what's this last truth in this chapter about how this amazing grace fires up, us up to serve God? The gospel, this amazing grace means that when we understand what he's done for us, that regardless of circumstances and regardless of the discouragement, we're going to serve him with a full shovel. We ought to be motivated, compelled to be eager to serve, eager, pumped to be able to serve the Lord, to, to gather together with God's children, whether it's for worship or whether it's for serving opportunities, whether it's prayer opportunities, and to do it joyfully. You see, the gospel rightly understood and rightly lived should mean that within the church of Jesus Christ, there should be no volunteer shortage. There shouldn't be. The idea of coming to church for 90 minutes on a, on a Sunday, if it works or if it fits, and then waiting to encounter and to be with others, to be in the word and to be able to serve and to be able to, to walk with and grow with others, waiting for the next Sunday. I mean, that, that, that just would be inconceivable in the early church and what God had in mind for his church. 
There should be no volunteer shortage. People should be tripping over one another when it comes to serve. Hey, there's a serving opportunity. Hey, I'll do it, I'll do it. Oh, but if you want to do it, I'll let you do it. I'll do the next one. Okay, Romans 12 talks about that loving, serving one another, trying to outdo one another in this way. When we understand the gospel, it fires up. What can I do to serve God today? Whether it's in the workplace, whether it's in my home, whether it's in the church, or there's some needs and areas in the church where I can volunteer and I can serve. Hey, I can do that. There'd be no budget shortfalls because he would be getting our first and our best as God's word instructs us to do, to give faithfully, to give of our first fruits, to give of our first and best sacrificially to God. There would be so much money in churches, they'd just be overflowing and, and being able to flood them into other ministries and programs that are about the gospel. We'd be able to plant churches like 90. I don't know what that 90 part means, like crazy. God's amazing grace did not save us so we could just fill up a chair once a week for 90 minutes and then go and live our lives however we want. But to build a people, his amazing grace is to build a people zealous, excited, pumped up. You say, but how do you get that way? You remember what Christ has done for us. Remember the cross and how he was ready to go to the cross and he did go to the cross and he sacrificed himself for us. Zealous for good works. Oh, we're zealous for stuff, aren't we? Our hobbies, our bodies, our sports, our crafts, our phones, our comforts, our Netflix, our projects, our friendships, our bank accounts. Oh, we're zealous for all of those things. How about when it comes to zealous for good works? Are you zealous for good works today? Wrapping cords at the beginning or the end of a service is a way to be zealous for good works. Serving those in our community, serving in a a ministry that promotes the gospel is a way to be zealous for good works. I'm amazed the things we, we rearrange our schedules for. Do we arrange our schedules for good works to join together with the people of God? We have an opportunity Wednesday night, a mountaintop prayer time. How many of us will rearrange our schedules? You've known about it for a month now. I know there's good reasons and there's some who will be way and there's different things. I, I don't want to put that kind of guilt on you, but I need to awaken you. And shake you. You have an opportunity to worship God on the top of a mountain and pray together with, with like-minded people to serve Him and to pray to Him and to expect God to do great things in our lives, in our family, in our church, in our community, in this region. Are we zealous for things like that? And see, when we're not eager or zealous, maybe you're tired and you're worn out. It's been a long haul. And it's easy for that to happen. And when, you get eaten, when we get tired, when we get get worn out. It's easy to look over our shoulders and look at what others are doing or what what others are not doing. We mustn't look there. We must look to the cross and we look at what he has done for us, his amazing grace that saves us, that transforms us, that promises an incredible future and then fires us up to be able to serve him because he's doing something great and we want to be part of his work. Darren's going to be singing, leading us in this song, Amazing Grace. But I'd encourage you to stay seated right now and examine this grace in your life today. This grace, have you received it personally? Have you received God's saving grace in your life? Is it a, have you, are you walking in the grace that empowers and compels you towards godliness and holiness? Are you excited about the amazing grace that will one day bring you safely home to heaven? Are you fired up about the amazing grace to be zealous for good works?